welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to our new series, True Devotion to Mary, on member-supported Restoration Radio. I am your host, Alexander Krasik, and in this series, I will be joined by Father Herman Fleece, professor at Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida. Welcome to the show, Father. Happy to be here. My pleasure. In this series, we are going to delve into the masterpiece written by St. Louis de Montfort, his book, True Devotion to Mary. In the hopes of giving you, our listeners, a deeper insight and knowledge of this most important devotion, and why you should indeed make this total consecration of yourself to Our Lady. Then, in the final episodes of the series, we will focus specifically on how to prepare yourself to make this beautiful consecration, following the recommendation and method laid out by St. Louis, and the best way in which to make the consecration ceremony itself. As such, we will be primarily using two books in this series, True Devotion to Mary by St. Louis de Montfort and Consecration to Mary, which is a compilation of all the texts prayers, and meditations recommended by our saint, both of which can be found in the True Restoration store. This is a devotion loved by Father and myself, and I certainly hope by the end of the series it will be very near and dear to your hearts as well. On today's episode, we will cover Part 1, Chapter 1, The Necessity of the Blessed Virgin Mary and Devotion to Her. However, before we begin, perhaps, Father, you could give us a little bit about who St. Louis de Montfort was, and in general, what the True Devotion to Our Lady consists of. Certainly, yes, that's very fitting to see briefly the life of the saint. Our saint was born in France. Um, he was born at the late, uh, latest uh, part of the 17th century, 1673. Uh, he was born in the town of Montfort, from which he took his name. Um, and he was born on January 31st, and he was born to a poor family. And he studied with the Jesuits at the Jesuit uh, uh, College in Rennes, that's uh, Brittany. Uh, our saint was born and was active mainly in uh, uh, the region of Brittany in France. And um, he was ordained in the year 1700. Um, and he worked first as a chaplain in um, Poitiers in a hospital. And uh, there he, um, he met some uh, poor young uh, uh, ladies who um, were aspiring to, to Christian perfection. And he um, became, in fact, his um, the spiritual um, father of them. And eventually that uh, came into a formal congregation, uh, which was called the Daughters of Divine Wisdom. And he wrote the rule for it. And uh, he became very effectively in running that uh, hospital, but he got in trouble eventually with um, uh, one bishop or other. Um, I would suspect that it might have to do something with, uh, with perhaps with envy. Um, I am not too, too sure, but that sometimes happens with, with the saints. Uh, but at any rate, um, he being, I suppose, so humble, had doubt himself if he was doing the will of God of, uh, because he was having difficulties. So he w went to Rome, interestingly, by foot. <laughs> so a very long journey. Uh, I don't know exactly uh, how, how many miles, but uh, quite a long trip uh, from north, northern, western uh, France to, to Rome itself. And uh, so he meets Pope Clement XI, who essentially... Uh, obviously, he's impressed by the saint, and he recognizes that he is uh, 
um, he's a very spiritual man, etc. So he encourages uh, him. And um, in fact, um, it seems in order to give him um, a formal uh, endorsement or approbation, he gives him the title of missionary apostolic, which essentially gave the idea, especially to his opponents, that uh, he is preaching pretty much with my authority and in my name, which uh, obviously that uh, is the end of all, of all dispute. Uh, but at any rate, the Pope did uh, talk him to be prudent and to, be, to work in obedience always with the, with the local uh, clergy, and he did so. Uh, our son was very prudent, zealous, by, but always um, prudent and having a sense of tact. Then, um, in his mature apostolate, he was obviously very successful and extremely uh, active. Uh, essentially, we read that he did pretty much all sorts of apostolic activities. He uh, instructed, preached, heard confessions, uh, did missions. That was a big thing for him. But uh, pretty much, well, obviously, administering all, all the sacraments. And uh, he traveled from place to place, etc. So he got a very versatile apostolate and uh, pretty much did every, every branch of of apostolic work. Um, he also was uh, a poet and a very uh, an original author and composer. He wrote uh, many hymns and um, uh, songs, spiritual songs obviously, and um, prayers. And uh, he was as very especially successful by the preaching of devotion to Our Lady, obviously, as we're going to see, and devotion to the Rosary in particular. I think we should say that he gained many opponents because of that. He was living in a time where Jansenism was uh, very strong in France. Jansenism essentially was a heresy and a heretical, you might say, movement uh, inside the structures of the church, uh, which essentially was... Um, a movement that was influenced by Calvinism. So Calvinism was condemned uh, by the church and it was outside the, the pale of the church. But then the Jansenists had essentially an inclination or a liking, uh, a liking for Calvinism and adopted many of their doctrines and spirit, but still remaining inside the, the church. Um, so that was a Jansenism. So naturally, as usually the, the reformers or the first Protestants uh, they were uh, very strongly opposed to, as they will call it, abuses of devotion to Our Lady. Uh, they were a little more, the Jansenists, more, you might say, moderate in their fighting against devotion to Our Lady than, obviously, than the Calvinists. So, but in a more moderate way, they did a lot of harm. What they would say is that there is too much of an emphasis in Our Lady and uh, it's an abuse and we should um, only have devotion to, to Our Lord as if there were any, any opposition. And so, but they were, to say it in a word, they were opposed to uh, a true and strong and Catholic devotion to Our Lady. And uh, they were in France and they were also in Italy, uh, interestingly enough. St. Alfonso Liguori had the same problem in his praying of devotion to Our Lady with the Jansenists in Naples. Uh, but that's another story. So, But our saint in France had to fight against that. He was essentially, you might say, the ogre of the, 
of the Jansenists because he was doing precisely what they hated the most, which was uh, spreading devotion to Our Lady and a cordial devotion and so forth, and also fighting uh, rigorism in the, in the bad sense and Jansenistic uh, sense. So he gained many enemies, but he was courageous in, in spreading uh, devotion to Our Lady and uh, defending the faith uh, in general against the Jansenists. And um, eventually, uh, well, he's mostly known for his, uh, uh, the books he wrote. He wrote The True Devotion to the Blessed Virgin. We're going to study that one. And then uh, The Secret of the Rosary. And then The Secret of Mary. Those are probably the, the most well-known. And some other great spiritual books. And um, eventually he uh, died while preaching at Saint Laurent sur Saint Laurent sur Cercle, I think that's how you say it, more or less in France, <laughs> and uh, he was canonized in 1947 by Pius XII. So that will be an outline of his life. I think on what we are focusing in our show, which is essentially his spiritual doctrine, I think the the case will be that he was. Um, he was a big opponent of Jansenism and uh, a big uh, spreader, obviously, of devotion to Our Lady and in particularly the, the Rosary, the Rosary in particular. And then just a nutshell, what, because obviously the whole series we're going to get into this, but just for those who may not be familiar, in a nutshell, what does the true devotion to Mary consist of? What is its main point? Good question. Um, I suppose there are different ways to word it, but... Probably, I mean, we could use the, the classical phrase, uh, right, consecrated phrase, that adiesum per Mariam, that's probably the best way to tackle it. Uh, so it's um, a devotion by which we strive to, um, to union to our Lord, to follow our Lord, um, to follow after him. But we do that, the, you might say, the, and that is common to all Catholic spirituality, but the the special aspect or the characteristic note is that we do it through Our Lady. And I think that's really the, the essential. And then um, the, how the saint um, uh, sees it or explains it is that we give ourselves fully, body and soul, to Our Lady and we consecrate ourselves to her so that through her, we are consecrated to our Lord. In other words, we go to our Lord through our Lady that is giving everything to her, all our prayers, efforts, merits, etc. And so that all our spiritual life is, um, you might say, guided uh, by our Lady towards our end, who is our Lord. So I think that's a, a way of putting it simply. So when he starts off the book, St. Louis has some really beautiful remarks about the glories of Mary and her sublime humility, and I encourage our listeners to definitely um, look over those when reading the book. And when starting his first chapter, he makes certain to declare from the outset his orthodoxy that indeed Almighty God is infinitely superior to Our Lady. And I assume he does this because Our Ladies are so magnificent and exalted, and because of what he says in the book, he wants to assure his readers that what he is saying is not exaggerated or nor has he gone beyond what is permissible. So 
It's probably important also for us from the outset to make that clear that Our Lady is truly exalted and full of grace, and yet Almighty God is infinitely greater. Uh, yes, certainly. And he, he does start um, very methodically. You can see he was very practical and a missionary, but you can see the essentially the, um, the schools, right? The scholastic background. And well, uh, as we uh, just said, he was formed by the Jesuits in his uh, young years. So uh, he's very orderly in his presentation of the devotion, which is an excellent thing. So it's not something just pious thoughts around. So I think that's part of the idea. He wants to start putting first the foundation and removing, as is done usually in scholasticism, removing possible objections or difficulties. Um, so I think it's his way of doing that. And, um, and it's very wise that he does. Um, yes, he remarks, he essentially marks the, the boundaries of um, the area we're going to, uh, to see. And yes, in he makes a stress of the difference between the creator and the creature, and uh, that is important. Uh, Our Lady is a creature, and there is always an abyss, uh, an infinite difference between the creator and the creature uh, in all its perfections. So Our Lady is uh, immensely uh, wise, but then Our Lord is infinitely wiser, uh, and so, so uh, forth with all the other virtues and perfection. So that's important. And uh, there is always, uh, no matter how exalted a creature is, there is always an infinite uh, gap or difference between the perfection of the creature and of God. And that's true even of Our Lady, which is, um, it's a good insight to see the uh, what will be, uh, if we make it to heaven as we firmly hope, what will be the, uh, to see God, the perfection of God. If Our Lady is so perfect, and that we are amazed, right, all the perfections of Our Lady, well, God himself is not only much higher and much sweeter and, and wiser and, and so forth, more goodness, but infinitely so. So that's kind of uh, gives a glimpse. Uh, so he stresses that, and I think it was very prudent. And, uh, and also one of the reasons which make it um, prudent and convenient to do that is that in many times with Our Lady it's easier to uh, to see the the limit as to what, for example, what we cannot say or what would be not proper to a creature than to put the mark positively and where we finish her praises or um, of her perfections. Because it seems that the more you, we say the perfections of our lady, it seems that there is more and more. It's like a, like a um, like an ocean, like the ocean, that there is, there's always seems to be deeper and deeper, you can go deeper. So perhaps it's more prudent to go the other way around to say, well, let's see what, what we cannot say of Our Lady and what is properly belongs to the Creator. And that one of the things he marks is, okay, infinite perfections. The perfections of Our Lady are like, like an abyss, like an ocean, but there is a limit because she is a creature. Now that limit, one loses sight of it because it's like um, seeing the limit of the ocean or counting the grains of sand, but we know that it is limited because she is a creature. So, and that we see the difference from God. And uh, he made some other similar points, and I think most people uh, know them, but again, he's, he's also removing all occasions for the... Um, uh, the Jansenists and the enemies of the ocean to Our Lady to find any any scandal or excuse to say, well, you are, uh, as the Protestants say, you are making 
our lady as it were a god and so he makes it very clear that no the the infinite glory and infinite perfection is of god alone and our lady is just the the most exalted of creatures of pure creatures and uh, and so he he starts by making that explanation and then as you were saying he sets the foundation he goes methodically along so the next point he takes us to is to show us how Our Lady was necessary to God in the incarnation of the Word and during his life also. Not absolutely necessary in that Almighty God is of course capable to do all things without his creatures, but that he willed that she be a necessary part of his divine plan. So hopefully I, I said that right. Um, so in what ways was Our Lady necessary to him? Uh, yes, I think that that's um, essentially what he says in, in a nutshell. and. Uh, um, yes, uh, again, he, he makes a distinction. I think the key is what the saint says, Our Lady was necessary to, to God in his plan of the incarnation and our redemption. He says, with a necessity which we call hypothetical. That is, a necessity which presupposes the free will of God in choosing um, to uh, accomplish the incarnation in a way as opposed to another. Um, so, and that excludes the first um, necessity, which will be absolute or even simply so-called, which obviously won't be true because God doesn't have necessity of any creature. He can do any effect by himself, but he says, well, hypothetical. So that is, we are putting something. If we place already um, the idea that God has deigned and willed to become man, for example, from the children of Adam, that is, being a true descendant by generation from Adam, you start seeing already there that they were, if God could have done it some other way, he could have uh, come to this, to this earth already as a perfect man, just like Adam was formed. But having chosen to come by uh, generation through Adam, and obviously by the nation of the chosen people, then you can see there that if that was his will, as it was, then it was necessary for him in that sense to become incarnate of a maiden of the Hebrew nation, uh, who were the heirs of the promise, etc. And then you see how it clicks with, with our lady. So I think that's the explanation. And, um, and yes, the key is not to say the necessity is uh, is absolute. It always presupposes that God has decided to do things in a particular way. And if that's supposed, then uh, he had to make use of Our Lady. And then he goes on to point out that in the same way that he used Our Lady in the Incarnation according to the divine plan, her necessity is much greater to all men to attain salvation. And he goes further, still more for those who are part of his special perfection, especially to those great saints of the latter times, something that we will discuss a little later in this episode. In fact, he puts forth alongside so many pious and learned saints and men the teaching that devotion to our Blessed Lady is necessary to salvation, and that it is an infallible mark of reprobation to have no esteem and love for the Holy Virgin, while on the other hand it is an infallible mark of predestination to be entirely devoted to her. It is quite a profound, uh, quite a profound statement, could you please tell us a little bit more about this necessity and then the consequences that follow from that? Yes. Um, so, um, well, he speaks about 
the necessity of Our Lady for our salvation, that is, um, uh, it's clear. We know that uh, all graces come through Our Lady and uh, we need grace for obtaining eternal salvation. So just putting it in those simple terms will show the necessity of devotion to Our Lady, at least in the broadest sense, that is to have a, a love to Our Lady and to pray to her um, at least now and then, uh, so as to obtain those graces we need. And that obviously, uh, they all agree uh, to that. And then he says, he stresses the idea of those who are called to a special perfection. Um, and we are all called to a, to a great perfection and to become saints. Uh, the meaning of the saint is those who essentially are in fact applying themselves to, to attain to greatest perfection, or perhaps they are um, they uh, want to um, advance more than they have in the spiritual life and so forth. But obviously we are all called to that. But the point of the saint is if we want not merely to save our soul, um, to die in the state of grace, but we want to become perfect and very holy, etc., then all the more we need devotion to Our Lady and actually we need a much uh, stronger devotion to her. That's, I think, kind of the idea. And, um, and he proves it at the length uh, later on in the book, why we need that, especially for fidelity to the Holy Ghost, etc., which as the spiritual life advances, one needs to be more, more faithful. And that he, uh, the sense says essentially that that, uh, you might say, greater fidelity and even exquisite fidelity in the greater stages, um, he says, cannot really be obtained without a, a really a tender devotion to Our Lady, as opposed to just a prayer here and, and there wouldn't be enough. Um, then he speaks of the great sense of the latter times. Our saint seems to have had, um, or actually not seems, he, he did have the gift of prophecy, and he prophesied um, some um, rather mysterious things about uh, uh, certain uh, saints and some, uh, uh, some combats and so forth, which are interesting. They're a little obscure because that's very common with prophecy that uh, uh, it's not exactly sure how it applies and what is going to happen and whatnot. Not even the saint knew it himself, but uh, I think that pertains more to you might say, the extraordinary prophetic life. I think the uh, light, the other thing is more like the general spiritual doctrine. And then, well, because he's a saint, he's, at a certain moment, uh, one can almost say that he's like, um, you might say, enraptured or something like uh, supernaturally and starts almost like prophesying. And actually he is, uh, and he speaks about those latter days and so forth, which is very interesting. But again, I think it's a little more difficult to, to tackle because it has a security of prophecy. But again, even there, what he what he's, does is um, give a sort of maybe corollary of what he said of greater perfection, that is, he presents a, a scenario essentially in the future, which he knows by prophecy that there will be a greater struggle between essentially the children of light uh, and so forth and the, the partisans of the devil, right? And he says in this, essentially last stages of the battle where it's going to be um, more fierce, then this particular unchosen saints essentially will need all the more 
uh, this this uh, great devotion, which is really like a confirmation of what he said. These saints, uh, as he presents in his book, essentially are going to wage war against the world and the devil and so forth. They're going to be like, it seems like uh, great apostles or something mm-hmm. like that. And then, for all the reasons he mentioned, they will have to be very especially devoted uh, to Our Lady um, to attend those uh, really um, exalted levels of sanctity. But obviously, all of those things won't apply uh, to us, but the, what there is more food is in seeing the one of call to a special perfection, that is, we won't be called to be like, uh, like special apostles sent by God uh, in those extraordinary way that, uh, that the saint foresaw in prophecy, probably doing miracles and all, all those things. Uh, but obviously that's not for us, but we are called to sanctity and perfection. And that we can do, and in our plan will be according to our state in life, etc. But we should um, not be satisfied with just a mere, uh, a mere keeping of myself in the set of grace. What we should aim to to Christian perfection, and that really applies exactly with uh, the doctrine of the saint applies exactly to us because he's saying, if you if you aim not merely to be saved but you are serving to perfection, to union with our Lord, etc., and we should, then also you need this, uh, this devotion. So that applies to us, so we, we cannot put <laughs> any excuse that, well, that's for, for this particular apostles or something. It's true, uh, that is not for us, but yes, the other part, so I think that's, that's important to, to stress. And, and the distinction is clear, you see it in the book, when he goes from, you might say, the ordinary to the extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And you can see, well, well, this is more like a prophecy of something that. But then he goes back to, you might say, everyday application for the ordinary Christian. So it's easy to, to distinguish those. And the, the other ones, obviously, the things extraordinary, we admire the prophetic spirit of the saint and the mysteries of God's providence, but we cannot really uh, know it uh, too well because there is obscurity in the prophecy and also it is of much lesser application for obvious reasons. Yeah, maybe it's more to admire and to perhaps pray or, or admire the providence of God, but there is not much of a daily application of those, of those passages. As you speak of the ordinary, I mean, even just saying latter times, I mean, we see how our times are with so many distractions and how the world is so, even if ours isn't the end times like he's talking about, you can see that we need that extra level of devotion and really need to, to stay firm to our lady, being devoted to her with all these distractions and all these temptations and go from us in this modern world. Yes, I think actually that's a, uh, that's a very good point, yes, because we don't have like, um, you might say like an open persecution or anything like that, which seems to be what, um, at least in the last stages, this prophecy refers to, some sort of a more dramatic thing, but we do have uh, obviously, the moral persecution and uh, uh, essentially what is boils down to um, what is bottom line in the sense the same, which is the fight against the world, the devil, and the flesh. The difference with those senses that they fight uh, the devil in a more extraordinary way with miracles and, and all the rest. But uh, we have our struggle also, and uh, and as you pointed out, uh, the you might say the the things that fight against our salvation, that is the temptations and the occasions and, the, uh, and so forth, all of those are very strong today. 
perhaps stronger than ever before. And we are surrounded by many, uh, many occasions in the world. Even if we go to the store, etc., we are bombarded with uh, bad ideas and immoral things, etc. So uh, it is like a like a warfare, you might say, scenario. So in that sense, I think it's um, it is very topical today this devotion because the saints always stresses that in order to overcome essentially the temptations and the assaults of the devil that is trying to make us sin and so forth, we need great devotion to our lady so that we go to her and we get the, the help in opportune time, etc., etc. And that applies really maximally today. I mean, if it applies at any time, it certainly is today because we are bombarded all, mm-hmm. uh, all, all around. So I think that's a, that's a good point. So I do think... Um, I do think it's a very, you might say, uh, a devotion of our times, you might say, for many reasons, the devotion to Our Lady or the development of a theology increased with the, with the past centuries and so forth. That will be one aspect, but it's not merely the doctrinal aspect that well, now we, there has been a furthering of the theology of Our Lady, which is certainly true, but I think perhaps more importantly is this aspect that he says that even to save one's soul, it's, it's uh, difficult today. It's, it's always difficult, it's always a struggle, but it's particularly difficult, we might say, because we are surrounded by hostile and a hostile world. And um, uh, so I think that makes this devotion particularly fitted for our time. So I think that's a good point there. And as he says, um, referring to this time, he says, quote, it was through Mary that the salvation of the world was begun, and it is through Mary that it must be consummated. So even if it's, even if just talking about our own end in general, certainly for the, the end of time, really will be, it will be brought through her, but even just focusing on our own lives, our own end, or some reason through her. Yes, yes, and I think, uh, yes, it's important to, to keep that, um, you might say, that smaller picture, if you want, that, yes, for example, we don't know exactly what is going to happen in the future, what people do conjectures, and, uh, but unless so, nobody knows when our Lord will return, and that uh, only God knows that. But at any rate, we know that we do have an immortal soul, and that's all we have to give an account for. And our end, you might say, will certainly come soon, maybe 50, 60 years, depending on the person's ages, but it is, it is from the corner. So we have to attain our salvation and our perfection through Our Lady. And then uh, that's, that is also our way of really contributing to the triumph of, of our Lord uh, through Our Lady. That is, um, we have to do to sanctify ourselves and do our little, as I say, you know, our little grain. That is, if we cooperate with the graces we have and we become... Uh, in our simple everyday life, then we are being essentially one soldier on the army of Christ that is on, on his side. And we won't be an apostle that changes the world, but we are doing something for the reign of Christ. And that is important because if everybody does his, his little part, then uh, there is a difference. But I think that, uh, that is important. And also that um, the, yes, uh, the census is going to be... Um, essentially a last conflict um, between the, essentially the children of Our Lady and Our Lord and, and, um, and the devil and so forth. But 
in a lesser scale, there are similar struggles, you might say, in, in our own life. That is, we have to overcome our own selves and, and sin, etc. We have to overcome the devil who comes to tempt us um, in a less, you might say, external or dramatical way, but he comes to tempt us so that we sin and we have to face that, that fight pretty much every day. So how we're going to overcome in that, you may say, lower scale fight is also through, through devotion to Our Lady. And um, I would say, one can say that the fight is uh, in a lower scale and it's true uh, as far as uh, mankind is concerned, but in a certain sense, it's even more important in this sense that you have your own soul and nobody will do the work for you. It's the grace of God first and then your effort, etc. So no matter what you do as to external activities or uh, whatever else, in a way for you, the key aspect is to save your soul because you are responsible for your soul and nobody will do it for you and you have to save it. And uh, there's only so many years we're going to be here. So uh, it is important to, uh, to keep that, uh, that straight. And many times we can be distracted by seeing too much, um, you might say too much from afar and seeing, okay, well, the great, the great conflict of the church against the powers of the darkness, and it's very true and we should, help and pray and cooperate, but we should do so without losing sight that we have a, a, a lesser or a lower scale fight that is um, that we have to take care of also every day, because that will depend on our eternal salvation. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to end the episode. Um, it's easy to get wrapped up in end times things, but it's more important to focus on our own end time, which is probably going to be sooner than we think. Um, <laughs> yes. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we close out our episode? No, I think, um, I mean, certainly there are many, many subjects we could develop, but I think it will be better to develop those as we go further in the book uh, in the next episodes. Well, thank you for your time and being with us, and we'll talk to you again next time as we continue this series. God bless you. Thank you very much. God bless you too.